their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The second reading is taken from Romans chapter 13, verses 7 to 14, and can be found on page 1140, 1140. Give to everybody what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Hannah. I've got too many things. Great. Maybe you're thinking, what on earth have those readings got to do with each other? Hopefully this evening that will become clear. But why don't we pray as we uh, turn to the Word together now. Father, we thank you so much for this chance uh, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would... Um, speak into all our hearts this evening as we um, come before you now in your words and as we come before you uh, in the bread and wine. And Lord, we ask that you would feed us with yourself this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. So we thought we'd take the opportunity tonight to look a little bit at the season of Advent itself. I don't know about you, but I always jump so quickly to Christmas that Advent becomes a tiny footnote. But what about Advent? We've got four Sundays. What's it all about? Well, it's all about 
preparation. Maybe that idea of preparation makes you think of buying and wrapping presents, setting up decorations, baking cakes, and all of that kind of things. After all, most people only know Advent through their Advent calendars, that cheeky morning chocolate to keep you going through the busy December days. But that isn't the preparation that Advent really has in mind. Because despite our Advent calendars, Advent is less about preparing for Christmas Day and more about preparing for Jesus Christ himself. And we see that preparation in two ways. You can see I really struggled to get the P's in there once I had preparation. Preparation as prescience and preparation as penitence. And we'll take a look at each of those in turn. Firstly, we'll look at um, Advent as a season of prescience, and secondly, as a season of penitence. Hopefully, in all that, there'll be some payoff for us along the way. Boo, yes, I know. (laughs) Firstly, then, prescience. More than any other season of the year, Advent is the season in which Christians are called to look both backwards and forwards at the same time. As we look back, we look to the first coming of Jesus, to the incarnation, the Word made flesh. In that sense, we do look forward to Christmas. So there is some Christmas, but we also look far, far beyond Christmas. And it's in that sense of looking beyond Christmas that Advent is about prescience. Because prescience means the fact of knowing something in advance. Christians know something massively important about the future and seek to live their life based upon it. You see, Christians know that as Jesus once came, so he will come again. We might think of the words of the angels in that first reading. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And historically, the church chose this time of year, leading up to Christmas, to particularly focus on that fact. Now, the word um, Advent, if you're so inclined to care about this, is derived from the Latin Adventus, which is itself a translation of the New Testament Greek word parousia, the word used to describe Jesus is coming again, his, his presence with his people. And that's what Advent is all about, looking to the time when Jesus will fulfill the promise we see all through the New Testament of his coming again. And so Advent then helps us to put Christmas in its right place. Because Christmas, it's that wonderful, life-transforming initiation of God's rescue plan. But Advent reminds us of the, that the culmination of that plan has actually yet to come. We look forward to the day when what was begun at Christmas in the incarnation, the birth of that little baby in Bethlehem, 
is fully completed. That tiny little baby will return. And when he comes again, he won't be tiny. He won't be a vulnerable little baby. He will come in majesty. And this is such a central theme of the New Testament, folks. But it's something that I don't know about you, but that can so easily get forgotten in the busyness of our everyday life. In fact, the busier life gets, the more likely we are to forget it. And isn't December a particularly crazy, busy time? Isn't it a prime example of a time when we're likely to forget that fact? But when we forget it, and this is so key, when we forget it, we miss the whole trajectory of time and space. We miss the whole conclusion of the arc of history. The Bible says, in fact, takes it for granted that Jesus will come again. And he will come this time, not in humility, but in glory as the king. Luke 21 says he is coming in a cloud with power and great glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. He says to Titus in Titus 2 that they're waiting for the blessed hope. The appearing of what? The glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 25, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man and says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. How often do we think about that, I wonder. You see, Advent is here to remind us that this is where everything is headed. As we look forward to all the good things of Christmas, the food, the gifts, the parties, we know that they all come and go so quickly. Cold, dark, Miserable January is right around the corner. Sorry, folks. But Advent, well, Advent reminds us that one day that endless round of seasons, the endless round of gift-giving and birthdays and Christmases, everything will come to an end, will culminate in the parousia, in the coming again of Jesus See, Jesus says he is coming to bring his kingdom. And his kingdom, he says, is a kingdom that will never end. A kingdom where all that seems cold and dark and miserable in the world will either cease to be or cease to seem so. And where all that is good, really good, will flourish like we have never seen it before. And all God's people, everyone who trusts in Jesus, will be brought by him into that great 
kingdom. We looked at Revelation not too long ago, and at the end of the book, 2220, Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And in Advent, above all, we echo the words in reply. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and fulfill all your promises. Bring your perfect kingdom of life and peace and love. That longing for Jesus to come again can be found in a poem from 1633 by the vicar George Herbert. Great uh, choice of hats. Um, And it's called The Call, and we see the first verse there. Come, my way, my truth, my life. Such a way as gives us breath. Such a truth as ends all strife. Such a life as killeth death. Come. Maybe take a minute now to chat together with a neighbor, if you can see them. Um, If you're a Christian, how often do you think about this? How often do you think about that arc of history of Jesus coming again? What does that mean to you? And if you aren't a Christian here tonight, of course, you're very, very welcome. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever heard of this side of Christianity before? Let's just chat about this together. Go. Let's draw together again. So that's prescience, but what about penitence? Let's look at penitence. The church has always considered Advent to be a penitential season. Penitence means, according to the dictionary again, feeling sorrow and repent, a regret even for having done wrong. Feeling sorrow and regret for having done wrong. It's linked with, of course, the idea of repentance. And Advent was always seen historically as a time for this penitence, often displayed in things like fasting before the celebrations and feasting of the 12 days of Christmas to come. Now, I know what you're thinking. Penitence and fasting conjure up images of monks in hair shirts and all that sort of thing. It sounds grim and dreary. But that wasn't the point of it at all, really. You see, it wasn't about making yourself unhappy, or at least that wasn't what it was supposed to be about. It was about preparing your heart for Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about in our Romans 13 reading. The hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, Paul is saying, because Jesus is coming again, get yourself ready. Prepare. Every morning, the dawn heralds us a day closer to Jesus coming again. So get up, wake up, and get ready. After all, Jesus says, we will not know the day or hour of his coming. 
Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus says. So we won't know when he comes. But Paul says we should live as if he's coming any moment. Because every day it's getting a day nearer. And actually, if you think about it, if we're trusting in Jesus, that's a really good thing. Our Redeemer, our Savior, is coming. The one who loved us so much, he died for us. The one who took our sin for us. The one who conquered death and hell for us. The one who comes as our brother and brings us into his family to give us relationship and life with him. He is coming to fulfill all his promises to us. He is coming to restore this broken world. In fact, we might use the words of that famous Advent hymn by Isaac Watts over 300 years ago. Maybe you think it's a Christmas hymn. It's an Advent hymn. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. It's not about Christmas. It's about Christ coming again as King. And what does it say then? Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature will sing for him. The question for us is, will we prepare room for him in our hearts? What does that look like? What would it look like for us to make room for him, to prepare room for him in our hearts? Well, I wonder... What habits would we give up if we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? What things done in the dark, to use the language of Paul, would we cast off if we knew we'd be standing before his light when the sun comes up? Or what about our attitude? How would we relate to others tonight if we thought we'd be standing before Jesus in the morning? In Romans 13, Paul says it is getting closer. So get ready. Prepare yourself. And that's what Advent is all about. It's a big reminder for God's people to get ready. To prepare our hearts to meet our maker, redeemer, and king. We're going to pray together in a minute, and soon we'll be turning to communion together. Perhaps we can use that time to reflect on those things in our own hearts. Where do we know we need to be preparing room for him? Let's turn to pray together now.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to save us and that he will come again to restore everything to the way you want it to be. We pray, Lord, that you will be preparing our hearts to meet him. That when he comes as our gracious and loving king, we would be filled with the joy of that great Advent hymn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Loving Father, we pray for those we know and love, and for those in our community who don't know you. We think of those who are busy preparing for the Christmas holidays without a thought that your son will one day return. Please would you make him known to them. Please would you be using us over this Advent and Christmas season to witness to the truth of the gospel through our thoughts and our words and our deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And merciful Father, we pray now for the world. We see it full of so much darkness. We think particularly of those suffering in war and conflict. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace now. But we also long for that day when all warfare and fighting will cease and everyone will bow the knee before Christ our King. And I'll finish our prayers with the collect for the first Sunday in Advent. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armour of light, now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son Jesus Christ came to us in great humility, that on the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.